Have you ever wondered what it takes to create a lifestyle that's free from the bonds of corporate slavery? Maybe you're already on that journey, but you're still figuring it out. I started wondering what it takes to create true financial freedom when I discovered one day that the global debt-based economy is a ticking time bomb that threatens everyone on the planet. So, I decided to hunt down success-driven freedom seekers from around the world to discover how they're solving these problems by having them share their real stories from their strategies and tactics to the pitfalls and struggles they've encountered along the way. Hello, I'm Craigie B. This is Corporate Escape Plan. Join me on my journey as I discover what it takes to create time and financial freedom with a mission-led business of your own. Hey, it's me, Craigie B. Welcome to episode one of the Corporate Escape Plan podcast, which is aimed at helping and inspiring people who are not just fed up with their corporate role, but maybe possess some ambition to impact the world in a meaningful way at the helm of a mission-led business of their own. Our mission in this podcast is to educate, inspire and entertain you if you're ambitious and interested in the idea of breaking your corporate chains forever around a passion, mission, movement or cause of your own. Maybe you want to start small with a business on the side or maybe you're looking to burn the boats and go all in right from the off. Whichever way you're leaning, we're going to help you see the options from many vantage points from people who are just starting out with a business on the side to lifelong serial entrepreneurs who've launched and scaled multiple multi-million dollar businesses. We're setting out to help you understand how to envision, launch and scale this impact-driven mission of your own in a way that affords you the kind of freedom you've never enjoyed inside the corporate world. Maybe you need greater freedom to deal with family matters, be it be a great mum or dad, be there for ailing family members, whatever that may be for you. It's about creating something which matters way more than oiling the corporate machine inside a system that doesn't know you or care who you are. To help us do this, we'll be bringing in guests from around the world to share their real stories, strategies and tactics. But not only that, we'll be having them share the mistakes they've made, the pitfalls, trials and tribulations they've encountered along the way. If you've never run a business of your own, you'll get to hear the truth that running your own business is not all rainbows and unicorns, but that when you're doing something you love, which matters because it's making a real difference in other people's lives, then it's all worth it and will fill you with the fire you need to plough through tough times, those bumps in the road. We've already recorded around 25 episodes and there's one thing that oozes from our guests and that is their passion and enthusiasm. And it's all grounded in the fact that they found their calling or are well on their way to figuring it out. Many of our launch week guests will be sharing their own corporate escape stories in ways we hope will illuminate and inspire in equal measure. Welcome to our first full episode Welcome to episode one. So, 
Right now, as I say this, it's 7pm on Thursday, January 23rd, 2020. We're going out on Facebook Live, after which a recording of this show will be released to iTunes as part of our official launch, along with episodes from our launch week guests. Today is all about the origin story. How did the Corporate Escape Plan podcast come about? And that story begins 11 months ago. It was mid-afternoon, one late February afternoon in 2019. And truly, the day had been a nightmare for me so far. My body was shaking like crazy. And here I was, collapsed, exhausted out of breath, stranded on my backside halfway down the stairs. I was out of gas. Earlier that morning, I knew I was in serious trouble and that I needed to call for an ambulance. But thanks to my foolish pride, I told myself I must shower and get dressed before calling the emergency services. My legs no longer supported my weight, so the entire process of trying to get myself ready was so hard, really hard. I'd come to rely on a cricket bat and my upper upper body strength to manoeuvre myself around the house. Without that cricket bat or household furniture to land on, push away from, I was no longer able to stay on my feet. They would literally collapse from under me and it had all become rather dangerous. So eventually, having struggled for hours to get myself showered, shaved and changed, I was done. Halfway down those stairs, I was done. I had my mobile phone in my pocket, so I called the emergency services. So there I was, my legs had given out. I was suffering wide-scale sensory loss throughout my body. My leg, right leg was so unresponsive. The only way I could move it was to pick it up with my hands. I didn't know what was happening to me, and for a short while, I will admit, I was frightened too. I ended up being handled in two hospitals, and at the second of those, I was advised I had lesions throughout my brain and spine. Yet. Although I noticed myself thinking, well, that can't be good. By the time I'd actually received this news, some remarkable things had already occurred to me. I found that despite not knowing what was wrong with me, I was finding myself desperately sad for the people around me, but not me, not me myself. In fact, I never felt remotely sad, either for or about myself at any time. I desperately wanted to be able to help these people, but I knew I lacked the resources or skills. So I was beginning to think I probably needed to find way, other ways to help people instead. So although I knew I was happy doing what I was doing for work, I was no longer happy having the impact on the world that I felt my talents de- demanded. And being here in hospital made me realise that. I didn't know what I was going to do about this, but I knew I had to figure it out. And in order to figure it out, I was somehow inspired to remember a video I'd been shown at an event for entrepreneurs in 2010 that I attended in London. It was arguably the most famous speech that Steve Jobs ever gave. It was his 2005 Stanford University commencement speech. And in that presentation, he told three stories. And it was the first of these where he said, in essence, that life in your life in hindsight is 2020 and that to find your calling or what you need to do is go review your life then join the dots the clues are there if you've never seen that speech look it up i highly recommend it you don't need to like steve jobs to find value in that speech 
So for me, sat there in my hospital bed and beginning there, but over the next several months, including after I got home, I got to work recording, recalling and capturing my life. I gathered together memories of skills I'd acquired, plus skills which had come naturally to me from a young age. Anything I'd ever done well, all my successes, every round of applause, every compliment I could think of. I looked through scrapbooks, old school reports, and that, <laughs> that really kept me entertained. And photos, emails, letters I'd exchanged with old friends. And once I'd felt I'd got it all down, I invited my brain to go figure out where I should go next. And I just let go because your subconscious mind is amazing. So despite my current condition, I suddenly had this laser-like determination and enthusiasm to hunker down and figure out a lot of stuff, including how to get through an online challenge that I really wanted to do that was run by a company called ClickFunnels. It was called the One Funnel Away Challenge. And I really felt strongly that this challenge, this training course, it was a six-week challenge, could, could really contribute to helping me figure this stuff out. I really felt that could help me change my life and have a greater impact in the world. So being an online challenge, I decided, yes, I can complete this from my hospital bed using my smartphone. <laughs> That's what I thought anyway. Sadly, I soon discovered a problem with my cunning plan. The core educational content in this challenge was delivered by a combination of pre-recorded videos inside an online membership site with further live coaching sessions delivered daily inside a Facebook group using Facebook Live, the method I'm using to record this episode. So more video, which sounded great until I realized that the internet and mobile connectivity inside the hospital was so poor, I couldn't watch any of the training videos or live broadcasts. Suddenly my attention was diverted to solving this problem. I was on fire. So my question became, how do I improve my mobile or internet connectivity? I tried everything I could think of. I contacted providers, I help desks, online chat rooms, forums, Facebook groups. I tried everything other people suggested I should try. I shipped in extra kit. I even got a local courier to ship in my laptop from home to see whether I could achieve better results using other kit. Turned out my laptop was even less used than my phone. So there I was surrounded by boxes, cables and wires, this gadget and that, trying to boost my connection. Each new thing I tried failed and the nurses became increasingly fascinated by this mad computer scientist who'd arrived on their ward. And anyone who knows me will get the irony here because gadgetry is, really isn't my forte. So this guy, the nurses thought was some kind of tech genius, was actually constantly calling friends from around the world for help. Each time I received a new suggestion, my positivity was refueled as part of a continual cycle of testing. Nothing worked. Uh, after a while, it became frustrating, and eventually I ran out of ideas. What I didn't appreciate until much later is that this tunnel vision probably led me on a much quicker recovery path than might have been the case, because the thing is I'd become so immersed 
in resolving this technical challenge in between being infused, injected, siphoned, pilled up, repeatedly questioned by doctors, nurses, physiotherapists, student doctors and student nurses, stopping for feeding times and a myriad of other distractions. There really was very little time alongside me trying to solve this problem to dwell on my condition and I really do see that now looking back as a blessing. So the good news was there was little opportunity for any negative thoughts to take a hold and the only outcome I was seeing in my mind's eye was me living a normal life, walking and conducting regular activities again that coming summer. I was, however, about to hit a wall in my efforts, not before embarrassing myself enormously on the ward though. And my embarrassing episode occurred immediately before falling incredibly ill for several days. You see, by now, I had received steroid inf infusions intravenously for five consecutive days. And according to what I'd been told by my surgeon, five days was the maximum he would permit. Now, my body was actually responding that my motor skills were beginning to return. So there were some good signs appearing. Now, up to now, despite its mind-blowing effects, I had managed to remain active between my treatments. Now, I don't know how this was ever a good idea, but the precise moment my fifth and final infusion had been completed, a doctor, another doctor arrived to perform a, a lumbar puncture. So, in case you don't know what that entails, it had been explained to me that five separate samples of my spinal fluid would be required to be sent away to different specialist labs for the purpose of identifying or ruling out potential causes for my condition. I'll admit I was really nervous about this. I really wasn't keen on having a needle passed into my spinal cord or having to remain still while five separate samples were taken but I was more, way more curious to know what was wrong with me. So naturally, I accepted the risk and gave permission for the process to happen. The doctor applied a local anaesthetic. So that was more drugs for my adult system before going ahead and extracting five separate samples of fluid from my spinal cord using a needle that she passed between discs in my spine. Then, once she got the needle inside me, she mysteriously began trying to hold small talk with me. I can't cope with small talk at the best of times, but with my mind addled on steroids and other drugs, what was so far proving not to be the completely terrible process I imagined suddenly, suddenly became a nightmare. That said, I decided not to ask her to stop talking because even in my drugged up state, I was not a complete dummy. I knew she had a needle in my spine. After the process, the overall effect of the additional drugs, the removal of spinal fluids, and the countermeasure drugs from these different procedures was really taking its toll. My mind was no longer my own. Yet despite this, at this precise moment in time, I was still determined to get some work done to do this challenge. And this is when I lost the plot. You see, I had these dual tubes hanging down my arm, my forearm, from a, hanging from a cannula that was still wired into one of my veins in my forearm. So it didn't seem to matter how I tried to rearrange them. They insisted in dangling right in front of the work I was trying to do on my phone. 
it was so annoying. I so I rang my bedside alarm so that I could ask to have the cannula re removed. That's the part that attaches the tubes to my vein. So I knew I'd received my final steroid infusion because I'd been keeping notes as to what was being agreed with the lead surgeon about my treatment using Evernote on an app on my mobile phone. So as far as I was concerned, there was no need for these tubes to be dangling in front of my hands and doing my head in. So when the nurse arrived, and she was one of the senior nurses with the authority to agree to what I'd requested, she refused to help insisting that I was due another infusion. I told her she was mistaken. I knew she was wrong. I'd recorded everything. And suddenly I was overtaken by fury when she walked out on me whilst I was still asking for her help. I was in a rage, absolute rage. So I rang my alarm again. A different nurse arrived this time. And I explained to her that my program of infusions was complete and these annoying tubes needed to come out. And she said she couldn't help me. So I informed her I was going to remove the tubes myself. No, no, definitely do not do that, she said. And she said she'd go away and find someone else to help me. And I repeated as she left the room, if someone doesn't come now, I'm doing it myself. And that's how muddled my thinking was by this time. No, no, that's a really bad idea. Please don't do that. And off she went. Then crickets. I waited and waited. And it's actually slightly misleading to say there was crickets because it suggests the wards was the ward itself was quiet. No, this ward was bedlam. It was pretty much bedlam all the time, even at night, because it was full of crazy people like me. That is one of the attractive features of a neurosciences ward of the likes of where I was at the time. So there I was, trying to work, and these tubes were driving me insane, literally insane. So exasperated, I got onto my Zimmer frame. Yes, by now my, my mobility has improved sufficiently that my physiotherapist had just approved me for my own awesome high-speed transport. So off I went into the middle of the ward like Speedy Gonzales. And from the middle of the ward, I made this important announcement. My infusion treatments are over. These tubes need to come out now. I was literally eyeballing one of the nurses and she was suitably unimpressed by my public speaking performance. And she informed me that she was in the middle of some important bed changing. I was completely unable to grasp how bed changing was more important than my situation at the time. So this did nothing for my mood. And so I yelled, if someone doesn't come and take these tubes out now, I'm doing it myself. And off I stormed. Much like the Incredible Hulk, only weaker and slower on my Zimmer frame. Some time later, I could still be seen on the ward, storming off. Eventually, Hulk reached the bathroom. Had Hulk not been full of steroids and other drugs, this extended Zimmer-based journey time should have given him time to call off. But no, he was still fuming and once he'd balanced himself safely, yanked out his cannula 
and out it came along with an astonishing amount of blood. And in that moment, Hulk was thinking, yes, you don't tell me no, picturing that senior nurse in his head, whilst this much softer, quieter internal voice was saying, uh-oh. <laughs> Unfortunately, Hulk was in charge and dominating all thoughts and enjoying some kind of misplaced sense of justification, especially when you consider the sink and floor had quickly formed an expanding blood red pool. Realistically, I should have been experiencing a suitable degree of alarm at this stage, but no, Hulk was still angry, and you wouldn't like him when he's angry. <laughs> Luckily, at this moment, the nurse I'd last spoken to came in. What have you done? She was so impressed with my work. Luckily, she was able to help organise what was necessary to undo the damage. So, if there's one thing I've learned from this embarrassing episode is not to mess with steroids. Soon after that, I felt extremely ill from the side effects from all the procedures. The effects of having spinal fluid removed just made everything a whole lot worse. My blood sugar levels went critical for several days. Uh, and if I remember correctly, that's a result of the steroid infusions and insulin injections were then added to my round the clock treatments. I was down but not out and was unable to do anything for several days. That was my lowest point. Yet this fire had been ignited in me. It still burned even in that really bad time. And I was fixated still on getting up and on with figuring out my new mission. And I'm telling this story for two reasons. If it wasn't for me ending up in hospital, I wouldn't have been inspired to seek out a bigger life mission aimed at helping a lot more people in the world than I was previously doing. If it wasn't for having this fire ignited inside of me, this previously unfelt passion, if I had ended up having the same idea eventually, it would have taken longer to occur to me. And this podcast would never have got off the ground, certainly not by today. And frankly, also because the journey to this point has been hard. So, about this online challenge, it was run by Click, the ClickFunnels community and really I would say it went a long way to saving me. So as I returned to some degree of functional behaviour, now feeling more ashamed than ever about my incredible Hulk episode, I accepted that I was not going to gain full access to my online training during my hospital stay and set about devising alternative ways of moving forward. I did, after all, have sufficient coverage via my phone to be able to exchange text-based messages via mobile and internet. Heck, despite the terrible mobile reception, I was even it was even possible to make the odd phone call to people now and again as the signal fluctuated. So one thing I was able to do was participate in a Facebook group that ClickFunnels had created for participants of their One Funnel Away Challenge. So I was able to figure out some of the coursework from the discussion that was happening inside the group. The membership numbered in their thousands. And one of the lessons in the course was about the importance of storytelling as part of brand building and sharing your whole story, not just your successes. Part of the rationale behind this is that we are somehow hardwired to listen to stories and that stories are more likely to inspire change in the listeners, the recipients, and 
it's also about making yourself relatable, about helping people find something in common with you. So sharing your vulnerabilities as a person, instead of projecting a filtered version of yourself, was something they were promoting. And the filtered version of selves is what most people do on social media these days, including most people in business. So I experienced something of an internal battle to persuade myself to go ahead and do this. Historically, I've always been someone that's kept myself to myself. My business is my business. And this was a line of thinking which, for me, was deeply entrenched. So the idea of sharing my story with the wider world was somewhere near horrifying as an idea to me. Yet I understood the lesson. I got it. So I persuaded myself to consider getting it done. And eventually, I accepted the challenge we'd been set to begin publishing and begin telling my story. So from my hospital bed, I typed out what was happening to me into my phone to share with this group of thousands. And then my little composition remained saved as a jar for hours. And in fact, I think I left it overnight. I was really nervous. And I was more nervous about this, in fact, than anything that was happening to me here in the hospital. So I'd already acclimatised my, to my hospital surroundings, and it seems daft now, but it's true. I was more, I was struggling, I was wrestling more with this idea of sharing my story with a group of people online than anything that was happening to me on the health front. I can't remember exactly what I wrote now, but it included some of these key points. Hey, I'm disabled. I was really nervous about telling you my story, but it's part of the challenge, so here goes. I'm in hospital, I can't do the course, the mobile and internet is so bad, I can't get video, I'm really nervous about falling behind with the challenge, I don't know what's happening with the course or why I'm disabled, it's a nightmare. And as soon as I'd shared my predicament, some remarkable things occurred. The way people in the group responded was some combination of moving and mind-blowing to me. There was a mixture of responses inside the group, plus personal messages to my messenger inbox. Some of it was words of encouragement. Some people were offering up prayers. And then there was this other category of response, which amazed me. And in some ways, it baffled me as well that, that some people were taking the time to let me know that my story inspired, helped, or encouraged them in some way. So some even expressed admiration for the fact I was attempting to participate in this challenge at all. This was all mind-boggling to me, and I really didn't understand it at first, if I'm honest. So I pondered this phenomenon for a while, then slowly my perspective began to shift. At first, I simply felt awkward that people were telling me I'd inspired them. I really didn't like it that much. I felt awkward. And, but eventually, I began to accept that these people, or some of them at least, were, were being genuine. I began thinking that by not sharing my story, that by keeping it all to myself, that this might even be selfish in some way. It was a complete flip on the head of um, what I'd previously thought about such things. And I was beginning to realise that not sharing my story helps no one at all. And this had never occurred to me. So I began expressing my story in greater detail from that day forth and found that more and more people who resonated with my story and the story I was telling and the way I was telling it began showing up in my life and new friendships began to emerge. One of those in particular was to end up playing a major role in me talking to you here today. 
So, after several days of illness, I pulled through the worst of my illness and began engaging with people once again online. And one of the people I connected with from my hospital bed was an English bloke from Shrewsbury who goes by the name of Jamie Atkinson. I remember that even though we were only communicating via the medium of text, I really felt a palpable sense of high energy and enthusiasm literally coming through my phone at me from him. He was a globe-trotting entrepreneur living the backpack lifestyle. I didn't know at the time, but he was about to enter my life in a very big way. Turns out he was a podcaster, and it turned out later he had plans to help others get into podcasting too. And we would later end up teaming up to bring you the Corporate Escape Plan podcast. And in the first week of working together, we began looking at the, the vision, mission, and strategy side of things. And to be honest, I still didn't know at this time what I was going to be podcasting about. I just knew I needed to find a vision, develop a message, and change people's lives in some way. And astonishingly, astonishingly, during that first week, the idea I'd been waiting for came to me. And I shared the idea with Jamie. He really liked it. We both reckoned I was onto something, so we got to work. So I'm going to share with you the, major, the first major piece of work that we did on shaping this podcast because it will tell you whether this podcast in future is really for you. And if it is for you, it will show you one of the main pieces of work you should consider doing too, no matter what business you're going into, because you need, you need to make publishing a key element in your marketing mix. And by the way, podcasting is a great way to do this. So when we were putting it together, there were four core shaping questions that we looked at so what were they one is who is your audience what are you you or your guests talking about where are you taking your audience and what we mean by that is what results are you seeking for your listeners and why should they listen so sounds easy right but this took me quite a while to nail down and i actually found it quite difficult but to give you an idea of whether the corporate escape plan is for you and how we aim to serve, here's the answers I developed to those four questions. Who is your audience? Well, it's ambitious corporate escapees aged 25 to 55 who want control of their life at the helm of a successful, scalable business of their own, founded upon a passion, mission, movement or cause. That's like an, an abbreviated version of like an ideal description that we created for an ideal listener, someone that we really feel that we can really help with this podcast. What are we talking about? Well, it's stories and business building strategies and tactics used by corporate escapees and entrepreneurs, including the pitfalls, trials and tribulations they've experienced along the way. Where are we aiming to take our listeners? Well, we're aiming to inspire listeners to take control of their lives with that scalable, family-friendly business of their own that provides them with time freedom, financial freedom, or both. Why should people listen? Well, we'll be showcasing the strategies, tactics, and tools successful people are using to plot their own entrepreneurial journeys, but we'll also be digging into the, the pitfalls, trials and tribulations they've experienced along the way with a view to guiding you, our listeners, away from pain and towards success. And we've brought in some amazing guests from around the world to pick their brains to help us do that. So 
really, my guests have literally come from all the world. And because I did this work and used this to shape all my pre-launch communications in order to make a compelling case for this project, I've been able to attract stellar guests from around the world, including the UK, United States and Canada, without having a pre-existing audience mailing list or reputation relating to what I'm setting out to do. So it's a great argument for the piece of work that we actually did for anyone who's starting from scratch with a business. And for anyone who's thinking about getting into this journey, then really do seriously consider doing that very same piece of work. So meanwhile, life carried on and my rehabilitation continues. I, I, got, I was allowed home and eventually I received the results of the testing that had been conducted in hospital. The result was that I had multiple sclerosis or MS. If I mention it again, I'll just call it MS. And for six months solid, my condition improved. My recovery was not a straight line, but you know, some days my balance would be better than others. Yet every single day I was able to point to something that represented an improvement. Then I had a bit of a downturn, which was a real challenge, and it tested my it tested my endeavours. And that's where Jamie Atkinson really helped me stay on plan because his energy and enthusiasm and his general rank coaching was enormously important to help me through that. And, you know, I picked it all back up. Now, once I knew what had happened to me, I went to a neuropsychologist and he took me, he walked me backwards through my entire health history and we joined some dots. We, we saw a pattern. It was remarkable. There was an unexplained illness that I had in the mid-90s. There was a severe trauma in 2010, which kept me out of work for three months. Then there had been this most recent disablement. Three major highlights that all had one thing in common. Each had followed extended periods of extreme stress. And each with consequences were worse than the last. So he explained with vigour to me what this all meant. He said... I've been doing this for 27 years, and this is what you must know. We all have our weaknesses, mine and my knees. Unfortunately for you, yours is your brain. And I was like, yeah, I think I knew that. And so he said, you have damaged wiring. He said, when you're st stressed, you produce cortisol. This is poison. And because you have damaged wiring, it goes where it shouldn't. You cannot be a workaholic. You cannot work long hours. You have to change your life or your next episode will be worse. I'm also recommending that you don't accept medication and learn to manage this condition without medication. You should do everything you can, stay off meds. And to help you achieve this, I recommend you take up mindfulness meditation. This will help you a lot. So I've demonstrated workaholic dependent uh, behaviours for substantial parts of my career with one or two exceptions, but I'd always worn the 24-7 working lifestyle as a badge of honour, and now the stupidity of this behaviour was laid bare. And, but I was, however, delighted to receive this advice about not having to take meds and, and about embarking on a path of meditation 
20 years previously, I'd been meditating daily. And in fact, I've since realized that after my, that mystery illness in the mid-90s, that meditation had become one of a number of strategies that I'd developed for successfully managing a condition that I didn't know I'd had. So I kind of knew there was something different about me. And so I was, without realizing it, I was managing it myself. But over the years, I stopped doing those things that were helpful to me and it hit me in a really big way back in 2019. So that really meant for me that I suddenly realized talking to my neuropsychologist that I needed to get back working on my inner game that I discarded probably 15, roughly 15 years previously. So meditation is back on my daily schedule and my ability to read the signals from my body is improving all the time. And importantly, I'm now reprogramming my mind and body to respond differently to my existing stress triggers. I'm slowly but surely eliminating the stresses without having stopped doing the things which were causing stress. But it's been a stop-start process for me getting to this launch. But if this project is to be a success, I know I have to win at this game. I need to keep my daily mental health discipline intact this time. So there's no let up. And if the corporate escape plan project is to be a success, I have to master that inner game in order to deliver a project that, which matters to me a great deal because I really believe it can change people's lives. This is just the beginning. Join me on my journey as I aim to figure it all out. So, if you've enjoyed today's episode and feel you'd benefit from joining a community of like-minded people, then you may wish to consider joining our free Facebook community. Head over to Facebook now, look for the Corporate Escape Plan community, then apply to join by answering the questions. The group officially opens on Monday, March 9th, 2020. So if you're listening to this episode during our launch week, you may need to wait a number of days for your application to be approved. See you inside.